Mr. McCarthy, your campaign has been accused of running largely on negativity, slander, and frequent manicures. What do you make of these allegations? Katie, we're going to make dance music great again, okay? We're, we're going to make it great again. Did you or did you not once tweet that, quote, sometimes the least talented, nastiest, most boring, worst people become successful? Okay, I have great respect for boring people, okay? And nobody has more respect for boring people than I do, believe me. Didn't you also say that, quote, straight male white privilege is the reason that chain smokers are number one on the Billboard Hot 100? No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. It's on your Twitter account. No, it's not. I literally just read that on your Twitter, at Zell McCarthy. Wrong. Okay, what about the recently leaked audio recording you saying lewd things about the chain smokers? I, I never did that. So you didn't say that you wanted to, quote, grab them by the balls, them being the chain smokers? Nope. Okay. Well, okay. Maybe I said that, but it was about Adventure Club, okay? So you did, in fact, say those things. Okay, you know what? That was locker room talk, Katie. Locker room talk. What locker room? You're not on a sports team. You don't even go to the gym. Okay, let's start the show. Hi there, and welcome to Don't Kill the Vibe. I'm Katie Bain. And I'm Zell McCarthy, and we're here to talk about what's new, what's good, and what's not so good in the wide world of dance music and beyond. Katie, what do we have coming up today? Armin and Tiesto, you've heard of them, right? Yes. They're some of the biggest DJs in the world. They are also among the many artists who have been plagued by rumors their work is actually made by other people. Ooh. I had a very candid conversation with one ghost producer, and he's spilling the tea on the whole industry. Damn. And it's going to be hot. And not that we're saying it's related, but we are also joined today by Chris Martins of Billboard and August Brown of the LA Times to talk about the Chainsmokers. Plus a look at some of the great new music coming up from Seth Troxler, Tycho, and more. But first, a rundown of the stories everyone's talking about. Joining us is special guest co-host today, Crystal Rodriguez. Hi, K-Rod. Hi. Let's do this. All right, so here's a fun one to start things off with. Uh, in the aftermath of the Access Hollywood audio with Donald Trump talking to Billy Bush, uh, a former Detroit resident named Melina Bickford, who actually lives here in LA, she's going to be joining us in a couple weeks, uh, she put out a call for somebody to do a remix of Donald Trump's audio. And that call was answered by DJ Nasty, a.k.a. Detroit's Filthiest, a.k.a. 808 Bass Mechanics. How appropriate with that name. Totally appropriate. Okay. So he's, he just sampled the phrase, grab them by the pussy, and our lawyer has told us we can't play it, but... Sorry, guys. Uh, I, I, is this the beginning of a whole slew of Donald Trump remixes? I mean, this one's pretty choice. This one's almost irresistible, but uh, I don't know. Maybe it could open Pandora's box. Crystal, didn't you say you had another Trump remix? Well, I did see on Billboard earlier this week that someone had actually mashed up um, him saying Gina with the chain smokers closer, <laughs> which is doubly cringeworthy. Gina is, of course, the Trump pronunciation of the country China, right? Yes. Yes. Right. And now we've we've already said Gina and Pussy on the show this is within a, the first three this minutes. Is way so. too much. That's My a lot. face is turning red. I know. Same. Um, in other news, less political, um, but equally as devastating, Hurricane Matthew ripped through the southeast of the U.S. last week. It did not hit Miami, and uh, people were expecting it to. And in advance of uh, the Three Points Festival last weekend in Miami, a lot of Floridians were 
were freaking out because they were either able not to get to the festival and weren't sure if it was going to happen, but it it did in fact go on. It happened. It happened minus LCD sound system. Right. They had to cancel because they said they had members of the band all over the country and in Europe and I think in Asia. So they could not assemble because of the hurricane in Miami to play that show. Don't you feel like that's kind of an extreme excuse? Like, oh, we were scattered across continents. Like you you didn't fly into like, I don't know, to like somewhere in the in the mainland United States. I mean, they could have all like landed in North Carolina and rented a car together. Yeah. But uh, that would have been a lot of work for them. I guess. I guess James Murphy doesn't road trip it. Maybe not. Apparently not. But I did think that they handled that uh, situation like pros. Three points did. Because uh, they let everyone in who had bought a Friday pass on Sunday in for free because of the closure and because of the delays and whatnot. So they made a good a good situation out of a challenging situation. I, I can't say that many of us have been able to say we've been able to rave through a hurricane. But I guess that those who went to three points can. Right? Yeah. Put it on the list. Um, I will say this this kind of struck me as being some uh, alarming criticism. It came from Ryan Pfeffer of my, the Miami New Times. He said that bartenders weren't even handing out cups of ice and there was no free water. And especially, he says, in South Florida, water should be given out like at a triathlon. Sinks in the bathroom don't cut it. Sinks in the bathroom? That was apparently the only source. They didn't have water stations or what? any other. F- yeah. That's wild. I feel like I the days where they don't give out free water at music festivals are like the good, bad old days. It, it's, it totally is. And it's strange that a festival like Three Points, which is usually so, it's known for being so on top of it and forward thinking, would fuck up like that. Yeah, it's a fuck up. He, a, that's a legitimate complaint for yeah, sure. He said, next year, give us water. Hmm. I guess it's. I guess they thought they were going to get so much maybe from the hurricane that they didn't plan ahead. Nice one. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, um, you guys familiar with CL, K-pop star? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> she's been. She's been making a making a go of it. She finally cracked the Hot 100. It's kind of a big deal. She's been trying to do it with her uh, Korean and English rapping. Last year, she had a song out called Hello Bitches. She's been on Diplo tracks and Skrillex tracks. This is her first solo effort to make the chart. How is it? It's not very good. Oh. It's kind of a disappointment. It's like it's not a great song. She's she's putting on this kind of Jamaican vibe for it. The video's very unimaginative. It probably cost a lot because Dave Myers directed it. But I guess it's a hit now, so good for her. Good for her. Yeah. Good for her. Good for her. <laughs> In agreement. Yeah. It is good for her. <laughs> so following up on something we talked about last week, we had uh, addressed the reports of rumors that Spotify was interested in buying SoundCloud. Mm-hmm. It's so not happening. Mm-mm-mm. So er- earlier this year, Dubset had announced that they were going to be, uh, they had struck a deal with Spotify and iTunes to get mixes onto those services. But part of that deal has meant that remixes now can be on those services. So... What will SoundCloud have that Spotify won't is the question. That's a good question. And it kind of undercuts the reason why Spotify would ever want to buy SoundCloud, yeah. right? More or less? Yeah. 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 So if you're hoping your orange was going to turn green, I don't think it's going to happen. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Is there is there anyone who still like is a SoundCloud loyalist who like will not migrate to Spotify? I'm thinking... It just kind of seems like it's agnostic in a way between those two. Well, whatever's easiest. Right. Yeah. Whatever you get the best stuff. Uh, 
lastly, I just wanted to point out the passing of uh, Issa Bagayoga. He's an artist from Mali who uh, in the late 90s put out a record called Sia, S-Y-A, that kind of broke through in the West because it combined uh, electronic sounds with traditional Malian rhythms. And he was definitely a, a, a groundbreaking kind of artist. And he was only 54, 55 years old, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty young. And uh, so we're sorry to have lost him. But he uh, was definitely one of the few African artists who have made an impact on Western dance floors like he did. And at the time when artists like Angelique Kijo and Femi Kuti were breaking through and repping their countries, uh, you know, Benin and Nigeria respectively, he, he was repping for Mali and it was he was a great artist. So we're sorry to have lost him. How did he pass away? Un- unclear. And it's it, th- there hasn't been a lot of news about his his death either. It was just kind of casually reported. Hmm. Um, I believe he was at home in Mali. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's, I, I don't, I don't want to say it's strange circumstances, just unknown. Right. Okay. Well, thanks for letting us know. Yeah. Uh, che- sad, check him out. Check out his music for sure. Um, Chris, will you going to stick around? Yes, I am. All right. We'll be back in a second. Talk about chain smokers. So last week on the show, we talked about the complicated process of the Grammys, the most prestigious award in music. And this week, the far less complicated American Music Awards announced their nominations. And amongst the nominees were a group called the Chainsmokers. They've uh, been kicking around for a couple years, but in the last month, they've dug up quite a mass of press for themselves. And joining us to talk about it is August Brown of Los Angeles Times and Chris Martins of Billboard. Hey, guys. Howdy. Hey. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having us. Likewise. So, Chris, your Billboard cover story about the Chainsmokers came out about a month back, and it uh, caused quite a stir. Yeah, seems that way. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I don't know, I think, you know, a certain, a certain thing happens when an artist rises and uh, gets interviewed <laughs> at length for maybe the first time ever. And, um, you know, people speak freely and maybe say things that don't make them look the best all the time. Uh, but also, I don't know. Actually, I don't know. There's no but also. <laughs> you but think also. that's what happened? Yeah. That's pretty much what happened. Okay. Ordinarily, one might say in that situation, but also, they're really great people and their music is so quality, but you're not rushing to their defense, I hear. Well, I, I had a... They showed me a nice time out in um, Colorado. I went to their show at Red Rocks, and it was an amazing experience. I mean, like, I would, I can't imagine a single person that bought a ticket for that show was anything less than incredibly happy with with how it went. Um, So, yeah, I I just, I think, uh, uh, I'm not sure. I, I think that it's not that all the quotes that came from those guys are negative. It's just that uh, I think. Well, what's interesting to me about it is that um, they're doing things that rock stars have always done, right? Right. Like rock stars have always gotten drunk and, you know, talked about girls and sort of 
acted a fool, a fool. Um, but people are coming down really hard on them for this story and some of the things they said. Why do you think it's them in particular? Uh, hmm. I think it's just more like, it's sort of like, really guys, in 2016, like, you're really going to come out and say that, like, you're, the, the nascent days of your career were inspired by the quest to get Donald Trump's favorite new word. Um, <laughs> we can say, I mean, I'll, I'll read you the quote. He said, uh, even before success, pussy was number one. Like, you really, you really hit the wait, hang on. on that. Here we go. Well, there's more. Like, quote, why am I trying to make all this money? I wanted to hook up with hotter girls. I had to date a model. I, I, I will say this, like, you know, at the time, and as, as is noted in the article, like, both of the dudes were in full-time, uh, committed, live-in girlfriend relationships and also said nice things about that and how, like, that was then, and it is nice to be with somebody who understands, like, kind of <laughs> who you are as a person and cares about your well-being. There seems like there's so much depth there to grasp, too. Well, August, what was your take on it? Well, it was interesting because I've been working on setting up my piece uh, around the time Chris's dropped, and um, you could sense very palpably that they uh, were caught more unguarded uh, during Chris's time at Red Rocks, um, and they were very much more on brand when uh, I got a hold of them, which is kind of fascinating to, to watch that process. But, how, um, how, much how much later was um, it? It's about a about a week or so. Oh, after. wow. Yeah, wow. It, was, it, was, it was pretty quick. Um, okay. and, that's, and that's no judgment on that. I think, you know, people contain multitudes. And I think it is interesting that, you know, hear stories of Led Zeppelin in the 70s and you're just like, oh, you guys. But, like, you know, the crime of being kind of a fratty white guy making EDM and sort of having an unguarded moment, you know, will just get you right. Hillary to And that's not to defend it. It's just interesting how totally. quickly what constitutes acceptable cultural behavior on the internet has, has shifted, and I think for the better. But um, I don't know, we were, we were talking about this earlier, and I, I've kind of come around to closer. I think it's a, I think it's a good song. I, I, I will defend it. Get rid I'm, of August Brown. Can I'm get him out of this. No, 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 no. I, I like Don't Let Me Down. What is wrong with you guys? I like it. <laughs> Team Don't Let Me Down. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm it's with you catchy. Oh uh, closer never hooked me, but I don't have anything against it. And, and I don't have anything against their music. I think like, Oregon's them as people, to be honest. I mean, I, I really didn't, I went into it just to get to know who these guys are. And that was the big question, right? Because these dudes have been like all up in the pop charts, all up in our radios, um, you know, all year and some change. And nobody really kind of had any idea who they were. I mean, I think some of us had an idea of who they were. <laughs> and I think that they are not, uh, I forget their names, Drew and, uh, Drew and Alex. Alex yeah. are not too dumb to uh, represent their real selves when they're being interviewed. That's been my experience with them, was when, I've, when I have interviewed them, they've been kind of on, and when they've thought no one else was around, I've seen them treat people like shit. And I don't know, I mean, I, not to like, and maybe they've learned from that, this was over a year ago, it was before Roses hit, and maybe they're better people now. Um, but I don't know, do you, feel like know. You, do you feel like you got a sense that they were actually decent human beings yeah I think so I mean I, I like I just think that they're not look I, I kind of think of the article and the quotes therein as sort of like kind of a bit of a litmus test and it's sort of like if you are the type of dude that they are um, which are kind of like two kind of different 
brands of frat guy. Like, I, Alex, <laughs> Alex is uh, only you know only like five years older, but he kind of is, is of a like an older kind of idea of the frat guy. Frat guy, like a little more Animal House in mm-hmm. in, in idea. <laughs> um, and Drew's what? More and of like... Drew's kind of like the younger like EDM frat boy, you know. Um, but I think like if you read the article and you identify with like kind of that mentality, I don't think you'll be like, man, fuck these guys. I think it'd be like, cool. Yeah, that's what I think too. But I think if you, if you're a little more sensitive about how people talk about women and like a, about how people talk about themselves also, then you maybe would be a little bit put off by the guys that they seem to be at least. Yeah, we've also got to remember, you know, we're of a very elite media class that sits around looking for people on the internet to get offended by and a lot of their fans <laughs> just don't and it's funny about I've had at least four or five lift rides around town where you know it'll be like a 22 year old kid who wants to get into future based producing and he's got a remix of roses just ready to go and it's you know we could we Wait, wait, when you're in a car with a lift, do you tell them, like, what you do? Yeah, it just kind of comes up, you know, talking. And you're honest about it? Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's why you get stuck listening to those shitty remixes. I I, I get a lot of... I'm just kidding. If you want to send me your remixes, listeners. (laughs) This is an open invitation. Yeah. Wait, yeah, that's a tricky, tricky trap there you've set for yourself. (laughs) Well, I, I... I, I entertain a lot of dreams uh, in those rides, but, um, <laughs> but I, I think they're the, the other. Put that in your business card. There we go. Yes. You know, dream. there's like there are like five kids right now in the LA area who are Lyft drivers saying, "I drove this dude for the LA Times, and he told me my remix of, of Don't Let Me Down was pretty all right." You know, then day well spent. Yeah. Now you've you've made someone's night. <laughs> But, uh, well, the other thing, like, I think in, in my story, and I know you kind of addressed this, too, that it's yeah. it's kind of an interesting format for a band now, because, like, you know, Alex just started, uh, or Drew just started singing mm-hmm. for the first time, mm-hmm. and, you know, they're... Is that what that is? Yeah, like, they're... <laughs> yeah, that's that's the sound Come you hear on, on the first, yes. I, didn't, I didn't recognize that as singing. All right. <laughs> but, uh, but no, it's interesting how they become this almost, like, pass-through <clears throat> mechanism for tons of top-line vocalists, and, like, they're at the front of the stage but they don't really like perform like a band it's just this weird kind of nebulous idea of like good time white dude frat edm with a little bit of sensitivo kind of side to it that i think is a really interesting just sort of new format for a pop star to be and put putting aside their their characteristics as humans Mm -hmm. um that is totally true that they have they are like a receptacle for top lines and i what i have been surprised about is i've heard um artists play I've heard things that have been submitted to them and they've passed on them that I think are infinitely better than anything they've put out. Mm-hmm. And what they've put out is not theirs. I mean, yeah, they might have a writing credit on it, but like, who was it? The uh, Closer was written by the guy from Louis the Child and Two Dudes from The Fray. So, I mean, I think that The, the Fray knows how to write a pop song. I don't know that they would be like, oh, let's, let's make sure we get, uh, we get Drew involved in this one. Like, mm-hmm. what is he bringing to that table? Well, I mean, the cool thing is when you're in a band like that, you can take five meetings a day with different writers, and yeah. they can they can churn through a lot of material and stick with what works for the brand. And uh, I don't know, I think I think it's a very modern way of writing. You know, we we've had a lot of fun talking about them as people, but I think their sort of strategy for music making is really au courant and really, you know, enables them to any missteps they have, they can follow it up with a new track really quickly and if they have a hit they can keep riding that as well at the same time i think it's a very 
you know, there's no album cycle with them. It's just every three to four weeks, there's a new potential number one hit. Yeah, and I, I would say too that I mean, uh, yeah, movie like aside from the stuff that we open, I actually think that opened with. I actually think that the more interesting story with them is like what a strange animal this this band is in 2016, and like and how indicative of the times that it, it is. <coughs> Excuse me, because <clears throat> they do. It's it was wild. Like talking to those guys. Like I, I mentioned in the article, like they talked about other artists more than I've ever heard any any interview subject and only a little bit of that was name droppy like only a little bit of that was like can you believe we were on the phone with so and so recently but like a lot of it more of it seemed to be like and studying no, I, I didn't believe it <laughs> <laughs> but more of it seemed to be like studying like these guys have been paying attention like they are fans but they're also sort of like taking notes almost I, I would venture to say yeah, we, we, I think we mistake being cool with having really focused interest in music and its construction. I think this is an interesting test case of guys that, you know, are not at all cool in techno land, but are probably really astute students of, like, what makes a song hit for their audience, which to me is, like, way more interesting than, like, why Ben Clock is good, you know? But, like, but why them? I think that's, like, the question I have for that we all need to ask ourselves as a world. Like... If there are going to be two random dudes or random people chosen as the face of a completely manufactured pop EDM hybrid sound, why is it two very generic, mildly talented, if at all, white guys? I mean, well, that's that's the part that I have an issue with. It's like they needed someone, I mean, Sony decided they wanted to use this vehicle as a way to sell, sell something that they had invested in. Why I mean, is it them? I would, I'd say, you know, if if you acknowledge your premise is true, um, everything that you just said screamed path of least resistance. You know, everything that you just said is, I mean, that's the thing that's about their music. It's like, and they say this themselves. There was a quote in your article that was something about like kind of the the genreless lane that they occupy, where it's a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and of course, all music is could be described that way for the last you know, whatever, right. 20 years. But there's something particularly, like, kind of mushy about trying to define their songs. Like, they all sort of sound of a piece, and yet they're different from song to song. But there's just something kind of mushy and vanilla and, like, kind of just, like, plainly appealing, not necessarily deeply appealing. I mean, the chorus of their of biggest hit is one chord. Like, Closer is just one chord in the chorus. Well, they've got the M83 thing of, like, a chorus can just be a one-fingered synth line now, and that's, like, what the kids are into. August Brown just compared the Chainsmokers to M83. I'll Come at it, again. Internet. Yeah, it's a good footnote, though, because we don't we don't, we don't, don't attack women, uh, M83 for having a single-chord chorus. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's right. not necessarily indicative of them being bad or, or a, a, a sure. brain on, on music, a pox on music. They seem to have just figured out the system. Like, they're very tech-savvy. It seems like the, the Drew, the older one, is especially sort of like the tech guide who really gets how to, you said in your article, right. peel off fans from this group's fan base and those, peel off, pan, those, peel, peel off fans words, from here. Yeah, yeah and, and that's very smart. Like, they're obviously pretty bright people. They are, and I think, but I think, like, I think that's one of the things that, like, um, 
you know, again, aside from like p word quotes and shit, like I think that uh, I appreciate that you don't say I'm that. I'm not words. a fan of that it's coming nice. off my lips. Katie, um, Katie and I just went for it. <laughs> fly. Yeah. Um, but uh, classy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, that's literally like it. I mean, I'll say anything else. Okay. Uh, no, I... Sounds like a dare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Keep go. going. Go. Swear word challenge. <laughs> uh, no. Okay. Uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is that, you know, aside from that stuff, I think a thing that you could read and find un- unpalatable about them is how into the numbers they are, how how smart they are about their business. But I think what's interesting, I mean, like, from a cynical perspective, it's easy to be like, oh, you guys are gaming the system. You guys are just, like, you're just punching in numbers and spewing out pop hits. But at the same time, like, they genuinely, and August, you may have gotten this impression, I don't know, but, like, they genuinely seem to, like, love the music that they love and to love the stuff that they do and to be into it. And I think, to me, and maybe this is just, I I am sort of this way about people. I'm very benefit of the doubt. But I, I just think that, like, they kind of are, actually are that. Like, they really do love what they do. They really do believe in it. They do think of it as an art, as art and music and the whole thing. And they also are really good with the numbers. They also know all the stats. Like, I talked to um, the guy from, uh, I think it was the guy from Louis the Child. I can't remember one of my secondary interviews <laughs> for that story. But he, he, when I brought up that point, like, nobody I've spoken to ever has known their numbers so well as these guys. He was like, oh, that's just the DJs in them. Like, DJs know that. Like, they stay up on that stuff because they're always paying attention to what other DJs are doing. And it's like, oh, well, that guy's here and I'm, I'm over here. Like, I should be there. And I think there's a bit of a competitive streak that infuses what they do. And I don't think it necessarily makes their music, you know, spoiled. No, I think their music is shit, and that's what makes it spoiled. I think the other <laughs> stuff is just, uh, it's just added layers on their, on their how they are destroying the world, one <laughs> shitty single featuring a mid-level pop star at a time. Well, uh, I'll paraphrase the poet DJ Mustard here, something to the effect <laughs> of, where uh, if you were saying all of his songs kind of sounded the same and they were too simple and he's like man if it was that easy you should do it because I'm rich and, uh, <laughs> there you go yeah. wait are you saying you that go. I should write a pop song no just like, like people people give them write a pop song get, well, <laughs> I, I would enjoy that process very much but, uh, but yeah WT the effect of people mistake being aware of your peers and having career goals as being somehow like an inauthentic way of looking at a career and I think especially for DJs it's even more valid because you know everyone's paying attention to each other's sets they're paying attention to what records they have or don't or what they want to align with and you know this is kind of a not cool version of that same dynamic of like knowing what your fans like and wanting to give it to them and trying to stay one step ahead of your peers i don't see a hugely qualitative difference in that i i mean i i've i'm frankly really surprised at how uh generous you guys are being to them i thought you were going to be like (laughs) they sucked you were hoping for that. <laughs> I just assumed that everyone agreed with me. <laughs> They're terrible. <laughs> Crystal, well, you, Crystal you had seen the, the, they did an interview on ABC News. What Can you summarize that? Yes. Um, so they appeared on ABC News, and the first thing out of the reporter's mouth is, so what did you think of the Billboard interview? <laughs> and um, Alex answered quite diplomatically, there are parts of the interview that we don't like, and there are parts of the interview that we do. I think we should have done a better job of conveying how hard we work on our music, which um, kind of makes me want to ask, like, what are you are you allowed to talk about what exactly didn't make the interview versus what did make it into the interview? And if they actually, 
you know, did talk right. a, a bit a bit about that? Um, I I mean, some of that is in there, uh, but also like the thing is, is like I, um, who really wants to read a story that's like. And then, you know, he turned the knob three quarters of an inch <laughs> to the right. I mean, that's so never... plenty of knob turning. That, look, I mean, to be completely... And then he side-chained the kick drum. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, you know, like, yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing sexy about writing, and then the drop came. Like, it's like the drop needs to hit. Like, you have to feel it. Uh, I think that, like, as a profile writer, which is primarily kind of what I do with Billboard... I want to know who the people are. I mean, like, the music's out there. Like, you can hear it, and of course it's my job to, to partly describe that, and it's also my job to find out a little bit about how it comes together and why it is what it is. But so much of that, to me, what I'm interested in is, like, who are the people that make it? And how does that figure into what the music is or what their path to here has been? So it's not to say we didn't talk about this stuff, but, I mean, you know, I... Like, I profiled uh, Justin Bieber last year, and I think what a lot of us do when we interview uh, people that we have a good amount of time to talk to them is, yeah, you open with the music questions, you talk about the new album, you, you kind of get into it a little bit, and then you start transitioning into, like, everything else, because 90% of the interview is going to need to be everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, like you said, you you want to figure out you want to figure out who they are. But um, as August mentioned, um, when they came into the ABC interview, you could clearly um, sense that they were more guarded about what they were saying, and that's why the interview that they did was them, you know, just um, showing what they're doing in the studio, right. them playing different instruments, just bas- even even just mentioning their Uber rating. Which is a that's very adorable. <laughs> wait, what was, was their rating? Um, so a very good. respectable four point six. That which, is not respectable. Did, wait, so that's that's really good. did that? Really? No, I, think that's, I think that's good. I did. Was that a question like that they were asked, or they came in with that? No, the reporter mentioned it while he was talking. I wonder about if he them. was fed that. That's that's like there's it's it's almost like like too ridiculously populist to like to like mention yeah. your Uber rating. But didn't they didn't they do that video with Uber last year? So was was it perhaps like the the last dregs of their contract with Uber to to mention? Not Lyft <laughs> August. Not Lyft. I I would say this like um I I think they do spend a whole lot of time working on their music and their brand and I think I communicated that pretty clearly like yeah. that how much they pay attention to everything. But like, yet they were not so so satisfied with it. What was the subtweet that they uh, that they posted <laughs> about? And this this is something that uh Well yeah. Yeah, so I'll I'll say I I I this you're going to hear this tweet now after hearing that quote which came later, which I appreciate the pivot which is like we didn't maybe we didn't do a great job representing what we wanted to get across, which is, you know, the mature answer cuz really I I promise you I did not go in with any sort of agenda or anything but the, the quote the subtweet about the billboard article is <clears throat> and I'm gonna try to say this like as weepy as I can <laughs> not to be mean but it really is a weepy it's a do weepy your best tweet. bro guess we need to get used to things being taken out of context literally sucks being misinterpreted <laughs> literally literally, literally, sucks. literally suck. it does I, suck I don't like Literally. I I'm not <laughs> here to mock people, but that quote is pretty it's pretty sappy. And like ninety percent I'm actually it's not a real figure, but I flipped through like their fans' responses, their followers' responses, and most of them were like, guys, 
shut the fuck up. Like, you, you said what you said. You should be happy. You're doing well. You're on the cover of Billboard. That's awesome. And, like, if you don't love everything in it, eh, whatever. What I loved about the actual cover is the two of them jumping into a pool, and they're high above the pool, and their clothes are already wet, indicating that it was not, <laughs> not the first oh, take man. of that photo. Magic. I want to know how many times. I don't know if you were I at the shoot. I wasn't there for that. I, I was at that hotel. I, I interviewed them there, um, yeah. but I wasn't there for the shoot. And then I interviewed them again in Red Rocks. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, sometimes you don't get it on the first on the first try. August, where were where were you with them in in your story? Uh, we were supposed to meet up in San Diego at uh, at Cabo, but there was some some time switch problems, so we just wound up doing a phoner. Uh, Alas, I was disappointed. Was yeah. Happy. Well, maybe when excited. they're in town, you can you can bro down with them. You know, <laughs> I, I think I think underneath the people contain multitudes, and I think that you can both be sort of a not so contemporarily internet on point social justice interview and also like a thoughtful guy Ouch. you know doing that i think they can you can you can be both i think i i hear what you're saying and i think that there's a tendency perhaps to criticize people for being what is un, i think unfortunately termed politically incorrect mm-hmm. but i think also there's something kind of unsavory for people who um, listen to music that's made by people who are motivated by their passion and their need to self express um, to then have artists who have been at at the number one spot on the Hot 100 for as long as they have now, who are motivated by their interest in building a brand. Yeah, and yeah but they did build that brand. Like they, they built it all the way to number one. They, like that was their game well, that they were playing, and they wanted. But they're passionate about building their brand. That's the interesting thing about them. That was sort of the conclusion I came to, and the thing that broke the story for me when I was trying to figure out how to write it was like these guys, and it's in the article. But it's like they're basically like tech bros, like. Like, well, wait, I, hang on. They, I, I want to. Let's read your uh, <laughs> the quote that uh, the, about them being tech bros. Um, he says he uses tech words like disrupt and iterate frequently, asking how. Oh, sorry. Actually, I'm sorry. This is not yes, from your interview. I'm, no. I'm reading another. This was That's in okay. uh, the Rolling Stone interview from Jonah Weiner oh. that came out this week. Mm-hmm. Um, so your your observation mirrored by what was in Rolling Stone. He says. Um, that they use words like disrupt and iterate frequently and asking asked how Rolling Stone's reach compares to their own and oh wondered out loud oh if no, the guys. ROI for participating in this article was going to be worth it. Wow. And, yeah. That's so crazy. Wow. Yeah. Like, what must it, it be like to think like that in your like, day-to-day interactions? It's, it's not so weird. Good. That's, that's <laughs> like, I'm surprised because that's sort of farther than they went with any of that stuff with me. Um, Maybe they read it and they were like, oh, and they're like, that, that is us. He that's figured us out. <laughs> no, because, because that's the thing. I, I, like, I was like, what is the deal with these guys? Like, I've never spoken to anybody who knew their numbers so well and everything else. And I feel like part of it, yes, they're a little bit defensive about, you know, selfie and how they kind of blow up with that. And they now want to prove to themselves, prove to everybody that they are good at this music thing. Wait, hang on, but, but that's but how are they proving that they're good at the music thing when they have other people writing and producing their records? That's the thing I don't understand. Well, They've had a chip not... on their shoulder for the last two years about that shitty song that they tried to perform live on American Idol, which was a dumb idea, and th- th- ever since then they've been trying to make it seem like we were wrong for pegging them as as being a gimmick, but I don't get how they aren't. Well, they're, they're I mean, look, the, the party line, and as far as I know, it's, there's no reason to think it's not true, is that they are collaborating with other people. like everybody does when they enter the pop realm like i don't know that that's inherently bad it's sort of like how i mean a lot of music gets made yeah that's you have a problem with kind of the machines of 
pop music, you know, that if that if that's inherently disqualifying. Right, and I, so I think there's a difference between that and saying outright that they're just that they aren't writing their own music. I, we don't know that, and like I don't have any reason to believe that. Like we do. Well, Matt, Del, are you mad at them as as electronic artists in the pop realm, or like because pop stars do what they do? You know? Yeah, I mean, I shouldn't say I'm not <laughs> mad. Like, I have no seething you seem a little, anger. I'm a little, a little mad. Upset. Um, I'm mad at August for <laughs> liking it. I had no idea that this was, this was going to happen. Hmm. No, I think that they are now probably more pop than ever. I don't think it's good pop music, but I also don't like when anybody acts like they're writing their own shit. And but they talk about collaborating with other people. Like, <clears throat> Drew talks about being on the bus with the dude from Lewis the Child or whatever. Yeah, I mean, a collaboration can mean a lot of things. It can mean, like, watching somebody work on their laptop and being like, yeah, that's great. Um, it can mean actually knowing how to write and produce your own music. But Yeah, but there's, there's not a point where they say, nobody else has touched our music, we do this all ourselves. They didn't say that. Like, True. So that's not, that hasn't happened. The Rolling Stone article has them in the studio with both Bono and Chris Martins from Coldplay. So, I like that you just referred to him as Chris Martins. Like you put the S yeah. on there. And that's the first time it's <laughs> oh, ever yeah. gone that way. It's Chris. Because yeah. Chris Martin. Yeah, but I'm the Martins, and you can see why the confusion would. Right, but I appreciate easily. that. Wait, hang on. Are you yes. not the lead singer of Coldplay? Oh, I should leave. This is a completely <laughs> really interview. Like, no, but yeah, it, but it's usually, you know, the other way around people just assume I'm Chris Mart like a Chris Martin. No, you're you are the guy. He's just some other superfluous I character. I mean, I'm plural, so I'm at least twice the man. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. yeah, no, um, I want I want to ask that real quick though. Like I'm I'm trying to find the hard like dark collapse star of your hatred for this band. Like is it just that you don't <laughs> Is it, is it that the music is like so uniquely terrible? Is it that they kind of represent everything that people that get into dance music is against? Like you usually come into the stuff because you're like gay or marginalized or you want a different experience and they sort of represent every thing you're misaligned against? Like, I don't know, like. I, you know, it's not it's not about who they are. I think there there is something that I take issue with when the people who are making the most money off of dance music are people who can literally make money anywhere and they're just kind of capitalizing off of a trend. I do think they are uniquely terrible. I think that my experience with them has been that they are not great people. Mm -hmm. um, that the reason why they were signed to their first deal with Republic was because, uh, you know, Republic was just trying to cash in on that shitty selfie song. Um, and now the reason why they're doing so well at Sony is because there's no one else for Sony to push. Calvin Harris doesn't do interviews. The rest of the artists who they signed, like, like, you know, have stayed squarely in the dance music realm. I think that, you know, the fact that the two heads of Ultra happen to be on the dance music committee at the Grammys and are probably going to be pushing for the Chainsmokers to be included in nominations sucks because I think there are other artists who are more worthy. So I think it's my frustration is that as any time, and this is just a personal thing, anytime people who are less talented than others get more acclaim, and it happens every day. Um, these guys just happen to be douches at the same time. So, yeah, I guess I'm not going to be invited to their Grammy party now. Yeah, I mean, I, don't, <laughs> I mean, can you even consider them electronic music artists in the way that kind of we all well, write in? Right, usually? exactly. Like, I mean, are they just kind of pop dudes that play a DJ rig? I mean, they they call themselves DJs. I mean, and if if they're if they have Louis the Child defending them as DJs, it kind of it, it's it, they haven't completely disavowed that. Mm -hmm. 
Well, August, I was intrigued by something that you wrote in your article because you said you were describing their sound. Mm. The sound of trap-influenced head-nodding style now known as Future Bass was perfected by acts like Flume and Odessa and seemed perfect for an EDM generation's cultural comedown. What did you mean by that cultural comedown? Like, what, how do you think that what the Chainsmokers are doing sort of represents a shift, if I'm interpreting it correctly? Yeah, no, I think it's, you know, I mean, obviously the kind of EDM arc was, you know, pretty, pretty fast tempo, sort of relentless kind of four on the floor, super hyper-caffeinated energy, and for better or worse, like Chris was kind of describing it earlier, like, their songs are slow, they're very mid-tempo, there's a lot of open space, and, you know, there's some drops, but there's nothing like confetti cannons and burning off your retinas with lasers happening in their <laughs> pop hits. Ah, my retinas! <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and, you know, I guess, like, the kids are very confused and kind of melancholy about the world now, mm, and not that, you know, true. the Chainsmokers are necessarily, you know, poet of you know bad you know gen z feelings but yeah i think like kids you know it's 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 interesting that they want something kind of slower and more melancholy out of their club music now which is yeah you know, that's a good know. point i mean i think don't quote me on this but they had the biggest if you know one of the biggest if not the biggest crowds at edc this year like that oh, show was, was massive like the most packed thing i'd ever seen in the sahara yeah so i mean they're striking a chord i weep I weep for our country. Zella's uh, in the unit. I know. All right. In the corner. Not that we're saying this is a related conversation. It's, but we're, we're not. We're really not. We're not. We're not saying this has anything to do with what we've just been talking about. But Katie, you did happen to speak to a ghost producer this week, and he did not hold back. He did not hold back, actually. Uh, you're right. He actually asked that we didn't use his name, but we can tell you that he's based in L.A., and he has a very impressive resume, even if it's on the DL. All right. Let's take a listen. So I guess number one, what has to be done is a client has to hire a ghost producer. How do they do that? Well, most of the time, it's either two ways. One, there's these really sketchy websites like ghostproduction.com or like ghostproducing.nl is a big one. And uh, they have like the tracks already set up for sale. So you could literally listen to like the tracks on the website and then purchase like <laughs> that track. But what, the, what I don't understand is like how the people that buy those tracks, like you could hear the songs so people would know that those are the songs from that website and i've literally heard songs i heard on that website just for shits and giggles i go on there sometimes and you'll hear them like on the beatport top 10 when that mattered you know what i mean really yeah yeah, yeah. It was, really? it's bad yeah for sure and uh it's just a lot of stuff like that and then number two obviously you hire a ghost producer and most of the time uh you'll hear about them through somebody that you know is already getting ghost produced or you know somebody that knows a producer that does other styles of music and give them a shot for dance music production so that's the first step and then obviously you know you have to get in the studio with the artist if they want or if it's just a general like here make like five tracks i'll pay you this amount of money and that'll be it there's that option as well it all depends on like how involved they might be like i know guys like tiesto like to be in the studio armin van buren like not really ghost produced he admits that like he 
has help with his producing. You know, he has Benno de Hoj. It's like this Dutch guy used to be rank one. There's so much to like the process. It's almost hard to explain. I mean, like what what is it about ghost producing that like you would want to know the most? Like that's my question. Like what intrigues you the most about it? Well, I'm curious how prevalent you think it is within the community of dance music. Like without naming names unless you want to. How many of these big artists that we see in the Beatport Top Ten or we see on festival lineups are being goes produced on a regular basis? Um, I would say, I would say about sixty percent. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty nasty right now. Wow. (laughs) Nah, man, this is like steroids era, like Barry Bonds steroids level type shit, dude. Like this is next level. That's a good analogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's like it's about to get uncovered and people are gonna really freak out. Like it's it's really a good analogy because like, you know, um, why it's the same analogy as to why people get mad when an athlete's using uh, performance enhancing drugs. Uh, in sports versus like ghost producing but for some reason there's like some kind of cognitive dissonance and people don't understand that like uh, it's literally the same logic being applied but people say that for ghost producing it's like who cares whatever it's everybody does it versus sports where it's like that's a morally reprehensible thing to do because essentially you're lying to your fans if you're using performance enhancing drugs because you're trying to say that you're doing uh, all these athletic feats to the best of your ability without uh, any help and you're misinforming your fans where at the same time that analogy perfectly uh, applies to dance music because you're using uh, somebody that's you're using somebody else's work to lie to your fan base to make them think that you're doing something that you're not and it's so strange to me that in one area of the world it's completely morally reprehensible yet in this other area it's like ah that dude you're good no more everybody does it it's just so prevalent that people like turn a blind eye that's really interesting um Well, that kind of plays into my next question is, do you think it's actually a problem? Because we hear all of these sort of splashy media stories, journalistic features. I've probably written one, you know, or a news item back in the day. And it's always looked down upon or um, treated as this thing that's going to be exposed. Do you think that it's actually bad or is it just simply what these big producers have to do to keep up with the pace of their insane tour schedules and these lifestyles and having to make constant output as well? Right. I mean, that's definitely a good point. You know, there are producers that can't keep up with the amount of tracks that they put out. I mean, my biggest gripe with ghost producing isn't the fact that people are using ghost producers. It's that they're lying to their fans and misinforming them on purpose to make them believe that they're doing something that they're not. Uh, I, I believe that it's all right to have help producing if you're telling people the truth and you're not telling them that you're doing this all on your own and you're not going out there giving production tutorials when you don't know how to produce. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's it's gone to such a level of idiocy that they're actually, can you imagine, like, a helicopter pilot going and teaching a helicopter course and you find out that he's never piloted a helicopter <laughs> in his life like what the fuck how's this going on dude like what do you think it's as bad as that with guys 
producers ostensibly who have never actually produced their own tracks going out and telling people how to then do this themselves. Have you seen that? Yeah, of course. I mean, Carnage did that in the Razor production tutorial. It was a huge disaster. It's not even available by Razor anymore. They took it down because it was such a PR debacle that... uh, they had to remove any trace of it on the internet that exists. Uh, there was uh, one that, you know, Sonnery James and Ryan Marciano, God bless their hearts, they're good-looking ass dudes, but they ain't producing a goddamn thing, all right? They did a... a <laughs> they did a, a, a DJ... Oh, man, I can't remember the name of it, but damn, they did this one thing, and they looked like they walked into school for the first day like the first day of preschool it looked like them in front of ableton on the computer it was embarrassing and they were like yeah we do the uh thing and then we do this thing and you can't find that one either i can't remember i don't know if it was dj mag or future music that's what it was it was a future music they do in the studio Sonnery James and Ryan Marciano. There's only one up on the internet right now. It's like some guy ripped it and he put a laugh track under the whole thing. It's really like one of those like sitcom 70s laugh tracks. Embarrassing. I've seen it. So yeah, people do that and they do that now. I mean, it's sad. Okay, that's crazy. Um, yeah. <laughs> my question then is how do these guys become so big, Carnage, etc.? If they're relying so heavily on ghost producers, is it because of the image and the social media followings that they've cultivated allows them to sort of launch off in a way? Or what is the trick to being able to sort of work the system like that? Right. So (laughs) it, it actually makes perfect sense when you understand what's going on behind the dance music industry. The I mean, any music industry or entertainment industry as a whole, it's all networking. Right. So. If you're out there networking and meeting people and making connections, instead of staying in the studio 24-7 and producing music, you're going to put yourself in an advantageous position to get your music placed in different areas and distributed to different groups of people that uh, channels or playlists or SoundCloud things uh, have set up because you're meeting those people that own them, correct? Correct. Whereas if you were in the studio all day, you're not meeting anybody, but you're making the music. So it actually makes perfect sense that the top 10 DJs, like eight out of 10 of them are ghost produced because you almost need to not be in the studio out there networking and getting those connections set up so you can get uh, those favors stockpiled and then do a release and, you know, get your track placed on whatever, you know? For sure. That's, uh, you have to be out there working your brand, but working your brand doesn't leave you enough time to actually make the music that you're promoting. Right. Well, some of them, you know, think that. I mean, like, obviously there's guys out there that have been able to pull off both, you know? Sure. And, you know, I like to call those guys real musicians. Like, I had this one dude. Uh, <laughs> I had this one dude tell me on Facebook. He's like, bro, why are you always making fun of artists? And I'm like, dude, these people aren't artists, man. <laughs> that's what I told him. Right, right. Yeah. Um, that said, in your experience as a ghost producer, without naming names, what have been one or two of the craziest experiences? Or what have you learned via being sort of part of this machine in the back end? Uh, don't believe their lies. That's what I've learned. Mm. <laughs> yeah, Like, they will deny being ghost produced till the day that they're, I mean, they're dead, honestly. Like, they will, they will not tell 
anybody because it's so like once you're in so deep on a lie and once your reputation is so uh, attached to that one lie, you're never going to get the truth out of them. Like you'll never get the truth out of Carnage. Mm-hmm. He'll never say he's ghost produced, even though everybody in the industry knows that it's so obvious that he's ghost produced. It's so sad. And, uh, you know, it's behind closed doors. Everybody talks. So, you know, I mean, I've talked to Carnage's ghost producer. I know him. He's admitted it multiple times. It's not a secret. If you do two minutes of Googling, you can find out. Niles Cashmere. <clears throat> uh, I don't want to say anything, but, uh, you know, there's, uh, it's out there. Dropping hints, yeah, ladies drop. and gentlemen. We're dropping hints. I was interested in something you said before the, about how a lot of ghost producing is done for... DJs that we don't necessarily know, but these people that are sort of trying to live their dreams and become famous. Like, what is that circuit? Yeah, like? a good portion of my money from ghost producing has come from, God bless them, but, <laughs> you know, rich, middle-aged guys that are trying to fill out their fantasy uh, in terms of just trying to become DJs and live that superstar life. And, you know, just pay their way to fame. They don't want to do a damn thing, but they want to, st- besides stand behind the decks and put their hands up and tell, them, tell people to jump, get you girls. know, <laughs> yeah, and get girls, you know. I, I don't, some of them had wives and shit, too, so I don't even know what their, like, plan was. But <clears throat> anyways, a big portion of ghost production is done for those people. It's like, it's very odd, and you'll never hear about those guys, but... But they've got the money. They've got the money. They've got the money. <laughs> and I like it. <laughs> I was say, work that hustle, man. I know. <laughs> okay, okay. Some ghost producers don't want to be in the limelight. And uh, that's like a real issue. You know, Martin Vorwerk is a classic example of a ghost producer that doesn't want to be playing shows. He's happy doing what he is doing. Um, you know, he's infamous for like kind of hinting at who he goes produced for and uh, I feel like it's kind of known but to this day the acts that he supposedly produces for deny and they have denied in recent interviews that they've ever taken any ghost production so another classic example of a group just completely lying and misinforming their fans you know It's, it's just really sad but uh, I would say a lot of the ghost producers don't want to be in the limelight. And those who do, uh, a big factor in that is linking up with a bigger DJ that needs ghost production and getting that sign off. <laughs> I know that's what you wanted to hear. Uh, <laughs> a bigger factor is uh, a, 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 a DJ that's already well-known, has a well-established audience, and doing ghost production for that person in exchange for promotion and being on collabs. Uh-huh. There's a lot of examples of that out there. Uh, if, you know, you look at it a little closely, you could see somebody's all buddy-buddy with uh, this up-and-coming DJ all of a sudden and, uh, you know, put two and two together. Do you Take a close look, guys, yeah. at who's out there and paired up, and it'll become more yeah. obvious. Uh, <laughs> exactly. I imagine the money is good. Yeah, it's decent for sure. Especially especially the farther up you get in the uh, food chain, the farther up the lineups you go and you're producing for those big guys, like you're probably making good money without ever having to go out on tour. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, I've, I know that 
some ghost producers get maybe like 30, 20 grand a track. And uh, that's good money. <laughs> yeah, it's not bad. I, I've definitely I've had a, a, some high level clients like that as well. Um, so the money is good. And that's why people do it. You know, if people um, didn't get paid, they wouldn't be ghost producing. You know, they wouldn't be. And if, and if, if it wasn't worthwhile, because there is a lot of pain that's like involved in giving away a product that you created to somebody else. It kind of like, it does kind of hurt a little bit, you know, and that money, that sweet money, just you rub it on those little wounds and it makes it feel so much better. <laughs> Amazing. All right. That was pretty interesting. Does it matter to anyone if they're listening to someone that's been ghost produced? Or does it just, is, is it as long as the song is good, the song is good? I mean, at the end of the day, if the song makes me feel good, I don't really care about the politics behind it. You know, unless I'm really like feeling a certain artist. Yeah. But I, I feel like I have, uh, the artist that I, I love the most wouldn't do that, I think. You think? I think. I don't know. Uh, what, what is the cutoff ratio for you guys where it's like, a writer had a good idea for a little lyrical turn of phrase in the bridge versus they just got this in their inbox and signed off on it. Like, what is the, mm. what is the cutoff point? I don't, you? I, you know, I, I love Rihanna, and she doesn't pretend like she writes shit. You know, I think it's if you can just own it, own whatever you're doing and be honest about it, that's, what, that's where you get the connection between the fan and, sure. and the artist. I mean, could, we, could you say that about what we do as journalists? Like, sometimes you have an interview in person, and sometimes you get a quote in your inbox, and you put it in the story. Right. Is it, is it yeah. less real? Some, I mean, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's take a look at what some of the hottest new music is coming up. Um, I gotta tell you, the thing that I have been obsessed with since hearing it earlier this week is Brunette, the remix album of Frank Ocean's Blonde by Kwaku Saunderson. It's oh, wow. fucking great. It's really good. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's deep. It's sexy. I think it's actually better than the Frank Ocean album. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I don't okay I didn't really hear the Frank Ocean album that much because I don't have Apple Music is that should I just is I'm like holding out like I was holding out on uh, Tidal am I ruining my life I don't know I, I find that the streaming service that just make me listen to the same five pop songs over and over again. Like having <laughs> infinity makes me collapse. Yeah. So I'd rather just listen to my own records usually. Yeah. But. So that's why you like the Chainsmokers so yeah, much. Exactly. I just been pounded <laughs> into your Chainsmokers. <laughs> yeah. Double vinyls. Subconscious. Yeah. Anyway, I highly recommend Brunette. Yep. Totally. Get it. Um, Crystal. Mr. Wazo. Oh yes. Well, Mr. Wazo recently came out with his fifth studio album, um, All Wet. And uh, we saw a lot of collaborations on this. Yeah, there was Skrillex, there was Boys Noise, there was... Peaches and Charlie XCX. Yeah, I did actually really like that Peaches track. I wasn't that big of a fan, honestly. Okay, okay. Um, okay. And if anyone listened to the uh, single of Charlie XCX, uh, Hand in the Fire, they'd find that the single version is way different from the album version. Um, I love that. I love when that kind of surprise happens where you can get like... The thing you hear on the radio, and then like, guess what? You get a whole new version. Yeah, yeah that's super fun. Mm-hmm. I was listening to it on Spotify, and I I had the old version stuck in my head, and something just didn't click for a few minutes until a few minutes in. I said, "Wait, this isn't the same song," and I had to recheck. Um, my uh, I I haven't 
dug too deeply into Mr. Wazo's stuff, but I've always heard really great things. And um, but <laughs> so that said, my favorite thing so far about the new album is the promo video, specifically the part of <laughs> Flying Lotus playing playing Skrillex yes. with a wig on. It's amazing. Seeing <laughs> seeing seeing Steve as Skrillex was just like the most delightful thing ever. Um, and I don't know if anything on the album could outdo that for me. <laughs> Probably. I mean, what what this year could outdo that? Everybody wants to be Skrillex, <laughs> but nobody wants to be Skrillex. Oh. oh. Yeah. Okay. Skrillex lives matter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Follow up to that. Shin hand thinker emoji. <laughs> Crystal, when's the Wazo album out? Uh, it came out on September 30th. Nice. Yeah. Out, out now. And uh, Tycho. Tycho has a new album. It was a surprise release. And the first since 2014 with uh, Awake. And it's good. If you like Tycho, it's good. You, if you like Tycho, you kind of know exactly what you're going to get. Um, but I do. So I do. I co-sign on anything and kind of everything from Ghostly. I feel like it's reliable. Yeah. There's never like a, a wonky album. It's, 100%. Yeah. yeah. You mean like bass wonky? <laughs> <laughs> I mean like shit. I mean like the Chainsmokers. There's never anything like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I found out this year that I really love Tycho. I'd listened to some before, and I just, for some reason, it never quite clicked. I think partly because it is like a little, it can be a little drifty sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's very like setting sun. Um, it is very setting sun. Or sunrise. He does an annual sunrise oh, yeah. set at Burning Man. Oh. And the sun back is again moving this year. up or down on the horizon. <laughs> Either way. Yeah. Uh, he can, he can, he's <laughs> so versatile. He can music. handle both. Yeah, that's true. Um, but no, I, I, that is not by any means a criticism. It's just a thing that I think you kind of have to be in the right mindset to snap into. And I, it kind of finally happened happened for me um, working at home alone all the time. That's, that's a good observation. <laughs> yeah, it was great working music because yeah. it's kind of white mm-hmm. noise in the most pleasant and sort of cerebral way for me it's plain music i get on a plane i put it on and i'm it's like it's quasi meditative and i yeah and i fall asleep but then i wake up and the album cycled back around through the beginning and i'm like oh this never ends i Mm -hmm. love it actual music for airports yes exactly (laughs) all these years later the thing about this album though is that um i mean i'm not i'm probably not as familiar with taiko as you are since i say it it's Joshua Tree music, in my opinion. Katie, um, Katie is the Joshua Katie. Tree expert. Um, but listening to the lead single, Epic. Um, epoch? Epic. I think it's Epoch. Epoch, okay. I think. Um, I think. You know, he they promised uh, that he would explore kind of a darker side of his music. And listening to that single, I guess I thought that it would be more electronic-based, as mm. that song was. Mm-hmm. And I, I just kind of... It didn't. It didn't quite live up t- to that for me. But I still enjoyed it. Like like Zell said, it's very pleasant music for a, ro- uh, a road trip or for for a plane. Yeah. Have you seen them live? No. I, I mean, even the electronic element in my experience goes away even a bit more in a live setting because they they have a full band and it's very sort of like driving and guitar driven. So I mean, they do oscillate. He oscillates. Scott and then I think two or three guys in his band, but. Yeah. yeah, really it's good live band. Like very every good. Every time I've seen them, always like, it's, like pleasantly surprised at how like captivating they can be instrumentally on stage. Yeah. I do wish there was like a couch option when I've seen <laughs> them because I'm like, there's no, there's nothing to dance to really. It's not like a dance. It's just kind of sway. Yeah, you sway, you nod your head, yeah. you sort of like Wouldn't make eyes a fun at someone. Festival like a couch festival. I'm in. It's like hundred couches. <laughs> Sign me up. <clears throat> I'll pay for the VIP upgrade. Sounds like bed bugs to me. <laughs> so Seth Troxler was at Symbiosis a couple weeks ago and you saw his set there August and, I did. and 
good reviews. Yeah, no, he's he was great. He always uh, always delivers the goods, and uh, Symbiosis is a pretty uh, pretty loose, cut and loose festival. And uh, he, uh, yeah, he he always he always brings it. I was told you really cut loose. Yeah, there was a little twinkle in your eye when you said that that maybe the microphone didn't catch. Oh, this is a uh, this is radio. There's no there's no video proof of anything. <laughs> but uh, I I when it when it's symbiosis, one does as the symbiosisers do. Nailed it. <laughs> Crystal Seth has a an essential mix. Um, tell us tell us what you've known about you've learned about it. Yeah, so um, Seth Troxler was the uh, star of the most recent Essential Mix live episode, which sees DJs um, have their sets broadcasted from uh, broadcast from uh, clubs and events across the U.S. Um, previous installments saw um, sets from L.A. and Miami, and he performed and Seth tr- uh, performed at New York's Output, and. Uh, yeah, it's just very dance floor focused. Um, I think what makes it so refreshing was that during this mix, you hear a bunch of the crowd reactions. And when so many DJs who are turning in their essential mixes uh, make studio mixes, you don't get any of that. And I think it, it, while it can get a bit distracting, I think it adds a really nice energy to to the sesh. Yeah. it's good. <clears throat> He's an American hero in a lot of ways. He's been holding down like the sound of Detroit from the next generation uh, while he's been living in Berlin for a while, but he doesn't always deliver, and I'm, I'm glad that he's he's on the right right tip right now. And, and speaking of, you know, talking a lot of chain smokers smack this episode, <laughs> but this is a guy that uh, that is pretty politically active and really outspoken yeah. in that regard, and, like, for all the things that we've sort of been discussing as to why kind of white guy EDM pop is sort of unsavory in that regard. I think Seth is actually like a great example of the other way to do it, which is be extremely outspoken and be really yeah, politically volatile. And I don't know, there's a lot of kind of thought and feeling into what he does in that regard, Absolutely. especially um, some other projects as well. And, and, and it's, uh, I don't know, I think it's cool. I, I've always wondered how this culture is going to get more political, and I think he's kind of showing a way forward to do it. Yeah, certainly not through Don't Let Me Down. No. Sorry, guys. Um, and what else we got this week? Well, Rez released her EP. Do you guys know Rez? She's she's the one to watch. She is. She's a young, young, what, 21, 22? I think 21. 21-year-old Canadian bass DJ. And she's if you like bass music or sort of more industrial-leaning techno, she's really good. She sounds a lot like Gasoffelstein. And her EP is is excellent. I really liked everything but the vocal track that came in on I forget Crystal's the song title mouth now. Just flew up and Crystal's she can't believe that Katie wa- didn't Crystal like that loved vocal that vocal track. That it was, was her my singing. favorite track of the EP. Really? Yeah. You know what? It's because oh god, it's because in between my wrestling shows, there's this constant. <laughs> Please know oh, uh, that she just context. said, "Yeah, Married the lead there, back Crystal. it up." <laughs> okay. Crystal Rodriguez is a huge wrestling fan. We'll get back to that later. It's Continue. true. I am a wrestling fan, but um, between or uh, during the commercial breaks, they always play this uh, video game commercial, and it's all these slow mo reenactment, reenactments with with this very chilling, haunting cinematic music with these very airy vocals and that's just the vibe that that song gave me like I felt like that could soundtrack a very dramatic video game ad 
for when you're watching your wrestling. So this is like a le- part of your life that you have very positive associations with. I guess. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I did enjoy the rest of the EP, too. It's great. I mean, I didn't hate that track by any means. I just mm-hmm. thought everything else was, was my favorite mm-hmm. over that. But it's, it's out via Mousetrap. Yes. And it's called Something Wrong Here. And it was, uh, came out on October 7th. And actually, if you heard her Shambhala set which I highly recommend you do because it's just like two hours of pummeling bass. And that's a festival that knows its bass. That's that's absolutely right. And that set created a lot of buzz for her. After that, I think that was like late August or early September. Um, But you hear a lot of the tracks from this EP in that live set. Sweet. All right. Now we're at a point in the show that we call Kill the Vibe, where Katie and I quiz each other on the things that did or did not kill the vibe. Katie? Would you like to go first? I'll go first. Okay. Chain smoking. Kills the vibe. Sweater weather. Oh, does not kill the vibe. Ghost producing. Kills the vibe. Making a shit ton of money on ghost producing. Oh, does not kill the vibe. Okay. A fresh red manicure. Oh, that does not kill the vibe. I appreciate yours tonight. I saw it. You guys should check this out on, on Instagram. It's good. Yeah. Watch for it. Um, when they can't find your name on the guest list. Uh, kills the vibe. You know what's the... It's different in different cities. In places like New York, that guest list is sacrosanct. Like, if you are confirmed to the guest list, you were on it, you were getting into that club. Los Angeles, by contrast, that guest list can vaporize by midnight, and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, yeah, it's unnerving every time. Uh, a steady stream of Facebook likes. Oh, uh, sometimes it's, uh, I guess it's okay. Sometimes <laughs> it's a little overwhelming, and you feel like you have to... Respond, but okay, it doesn't kill the vibe. All right, cheap whiskey. It kills the vibe. Post festival fatigue. Kills the vibe. Pretentious vegans. Oh, uh, I actually find them entertaining. That's just me. Does not kill the vibe. All right. <laughs> you ready for this? Let's do it. Yep. Frank Ocean remixes. Uh, does not kill the vibe. Billy Bush. Ooh, oh man. He's had a rough, a rough time. I'm gonna say it does not kill the vibe. Whoa. Yeah. Contrarian here. <laughs> Votive candles. Oh, it does not kill the vibe. Haunted houses. Oh, kills the vibe. I hate that shit. Oh, Seth Troxler. Does not kill the vibe. Hype about Seth Troxler. Um, does not kill the vibe. Oh, all right. Candy corn. Kills the vibe. That's ugh. okay. Relatives of Kevin Saunderson. Quaker Saunderson's his nephew. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Does not kill the vibe. Yeah. Uh, booking the wrong dates on Airbnb. <laughs> Kills the vibe. <laughs> I know. Ouch. Uh, ouch. All right. Well, thank you all for listening today. Our executive producer of Don't Kill the Vibe is Alex Munoz. Engineers are Andrew Conde and Anthony Russo. Creative director is Allison Snyder. Our theme music this week is Groove Cartel's Don't Stop. And Katie, we got to give a shout out to our special guests. 100%. I want to say thank you as Dizelle to Crystal Rodriguez, August Brown, and Chris Martins. Martin. <laughs> Martins. I want to thank Chris Martins, Martins. of Coldplay <laughs> for, I don't know, all that he does. Doesn't he do a lot? He contributes, yeah. Yeah. He's... I'd like to thank him for killing my vibe. Oh, <laughs> that's too bad. Until next week, don't, don't kill, kill the, the vibe. vibe.